I believe the Lord's led something in my heart tonight. And uh, if you've got your Bible, would you turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 51? I have a question before we, we, we read this. Have you come tonight expecting to hear from God? I mean, I, mean, I really mean that because it's easy to do the church thing. You know, I've done it before um, where you come to church, it's the thing to do to come to church, but you know, you're busy, you come from work, you come into the house of God, you're, you're tired, and you're here, but you're not here. Okay, we've all done that. Amen. Let's be honest. Who's done that? Okay. Um, but you, know, I, I've been in situations, and I'm sure you have. You get two people heading home in the one car. One person's like, "Oh, I needed that so much tonight. I really needed that." And the other one's like, "I didn't get anything." They heard the same message. The same Holy Spirit was there. What was the problem? What, what's going on there? To me. You know, Jesus said, according to your faith, according to your faith, everywhere he went, according to your faith, some received, some didn't receive. And I honestly believe that what divides the different responses is it's whether we expect or not. I remember looking at a definition of um, what faith is in the Bible in Hebrews 11.1. 1, and the Greek literally means this, faith is is the essence of expectancy. When all the debating's over, when all the analyzing's over, when, you know, when all said and done, faith is the essence of expectancy. If you come expecting, I guarantee you'll receive. Not because of the preacher, but because this book is alive tonight. This book is, is on fire. And the Holy Ghost is able to magnify even what I'm going to share with you tonight. So I say that just to encourage you. Let's turn to um, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for this precious book tonight. Lord, I pray that you would just make it alive, open it up. Lord, just apply it to where we are individually and collectively. Lord, only you know. Lord, we can speculate on where we are as individuals, but Lord, you're the only one that knows exactly where we are and what we need at the moment. So I just pray, Lord, you would take, Lord, Lord, what I'm going to share and Lord, what I believe I've received from you and Lord, just apply it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I've given this message a title tonight and it says, don't let anyone or anything distract you from the task at hand. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from the task at hand. As you talk to Christians over the years, um, as you talk to Christians in different countries, it is shocking how many have no idea of the call of God in their life or any sense of the assignment that they're here for. I often do this to especially our own congregation. I ask them, what's the call in your life? Why are you here? What, what's your purpose for being here? Because every believer has a purpose for being here. Amen? The time, the purpose, it's, it's all tied up. And so many, they answer, well, I don't know. I don't know the call of my life. I don't know why I'm here. And this shows in their lack of direction. It shows in their lack of fruit. And it shows in their lack of power. 
They have no goal to aim for and therefore no determination to get there. I mean, can you imagine playing football or soccer and there being no goalposts? I mean, what's the purpose? I mean, or basketball? But yet a lot of Christians just seem to, whether it's basketball, the Americans are really into basketball. Imagine them just dribbling about with a ball like this here. You know, but so often it seems so many Christians are just going about all the fancy work with the ball, but there's no goal. There's no purpose. How can you put the ball in the net if there's no goal? Um, but nothing is more opposite to Jesus Christ and his life on this earth because mission was written over everything that he'd done. He was a man on a mission. He was. He had a goal. And no one was going to stop him getting there. Um, the text that we've read tonight is one of them scriptures over the years that has inspired me. Um, every so often, I go back to it and just read over it. And I just get a lot from this because it embodies what Jesus Christ is to me. And it embodies just how focused he was on fulfilling his mission. Um, concentration, determination, intentionality are written all over this reading. We see the master in full stride heading toward the cross. What is amazing here is that Jesus knew that he was heading toward a dark battle. He knew he was heading toward suffering. He knew that his, he was going to be spat upon and his beard plucked. He knew that he was going to be mocked and scoffed. He knew he was going to be rejected and abused. He knew that his, his back was going to be like a plowed field. 39 stripes on his back. Remember when he carried that cross, his back was like a plowed field. Them Roman soldiers knew how to inflict pain. He knew he was going to be humiliated. He was nailed naked to a cross. When you see all the paintings of Jesus on the cross, they have a nice respectable loincloth around him. But he was naked on that tree. They bargained over his clothes. Part of the humiliation was that he was naked in that tree. Can you imagine his mother and the women disciples looking at him naked? He knew that. But worst of all, he knew he was going there to identify with your sin and mine. But you know what? Nothing was going to put him off. Even though Christ was walking toward a dark, humiliating moment in history, he did it with purpose and he did it with determination. He was resolute and unwavering in his attitude. He was intentional in his approach. The word steadfastly here that we find in our passage in verse 51 describes Christ's attitude. And this word steadfastly means to set fast. That is literally to turn resolutely in a certain direction. He just was so focused that nothing was going to turn him this way or that way. He was going where he was meant to go. Um. You know, for Jesus, turning back was not an option. Looking to the left or the right was not an option. Pressing forward into the purposes of God, regardless of the cost, was the example that he left for us. There was a major cost at the end of the path for Christ, which he was fully aware of, and that was death to self. This reading is closely connected to the prophetic passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 and 7, which says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. This is bravery beyond words here. Please remember, unlike us, Christ had a perfect revelation of what was coming. He knew. 
He knew exactly what was coming. Uh, Albert Barnes says about this. He was not appalled by the dangers, but was determined to brave all and to go up into the midst of his enemies to die. Christ was so focused on his mission that he did not even let himself get diverted by the crowd. This journey was why he came to this earth. That's why he was born, to take this journey and to take this journey for you and me. In verse 53 of our reading, and it says they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Um, oh, that we had that attitude in our day. I just believe as we read this, we see the ultimate example of how we should go when we know what we're called to. Do you know what you're called to tonight? Do you know the call of God in your life? Do you actually know why you are actually here? Do you, set, do you have a sense of destiny on your life? You know, many complain about the last days and I'm like, but God's placed you here for a reason. All I hear is doom and gloom. Oh, I can't believe this and that. And honestly, you get around a lot of Christians today, you get depressed. They know all the statistics and they'll run them off and this statistic and that statistic. And honestly... You know, even as a pastor, I went over to America. It shocked me. Just, just the mindset of the evangelicals and Pentecostals over there. I'm talking about sound, the sound ones. Um, honestly, they, they were captivated with conspiracy theories. I'm not joking. Honestly, it's just like, pastor, you're not going to believe what they're doing next. They're going to... Obama's going to, he's opening up all the army camps and he's going to throw all the Christians in the army camps. And I'm like, oh, really? It's all baloney. And I knew it was baloney. And I'm like, and it was always Obama, Obama, Obama. And, you know, I had to get up in church and say, do you know what? A lot of you, you talk more about Obama than you do about Jesus Christ. And you take more of your leading from Fox News than you do from the Bible. And I'm saying, you know, you know, I watched a bit of it. You know, everybody in America watches Fox News, so you kind of you go with the crowd. Like, so you know, it was election time went over, so I was watching it and whatever. Honestly, my wife forbid me from watching Fox News because it was all fighting and gurning, as they say in Northern Ireland. It was always it was worse than here. It was like, but they're so biased and partial. At least the BBC will give both sides. Every so often. <laughs> but, um, uh, okay. Okay, take that off the tape, that part. <laughs> Just delete that part, okay? But, you know, I would watch these guys, and they're supposed to be conservative, and they would mock Obama as the anointed one. The anointed one. And I'm like, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. How dare you call Obama the anointed one? There's only one anointed one. Now, are you with me tonight? If you, call, if you mock somebody and call him the anointed one, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. And believers should not do that. And a lot of the time, and, and of course the big thing was, is he really an American? Was he born in Africa? And I'm telling you, I would see this, and I'm like, people are more interested in whether he's from Africa or America than whether he's born again or pray for him to be born again. It says pray for those who rule over you. And I'm serious. I'm like, like talk, talk about going from the frying pan into the pan, from Ulster to there. I'm like, you know, we think, oh, we're the only ones that are political. I'll tell you, it's, it's as big over there as it is here. And sometimes even bigger over there. But um, what I'm saying is we so easily get distracted. We look to the right, we look to the left, and most of it, when you step back in the light of eternity, what does it matter? What does it really matter? On this road that Jesus was on, that he refused to get distracted, Peter stood in the way of Jesus. You know the story. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. He didn't want him to fulfill his purpose because he was only seeing that much of the picture 
And honestly, I don't give Peter a hard time because Peter's just like us. We think we see the full picture and really we only see that much. And in fact, it's only as I've got older that I actually understand what the old timers mean by the more you know, the less you know. Like I used to say when I was young, that doesn't even make sense. The more you know, the less you know. I mean, it was a bit like my mom. My mom used to not give me the spoon, give me the stick. Not that I ever deserved it, but she used to give me the stick. And she used to say, Paul, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> she doesn't realize she doesn't realize how painful this is. Well, I never understood that until I become a parent. And suddenly when you're a parent and you have to chastise your child, you actually get an epiphany of what that really means. But I used to hear the old timer saying, the more you know, the less you know. But I can honestly say today, through experience, I know what they mean. Because the more I know today, it's like, I think back at some of the things I've said and done over the years as a believer, and I'm like, why did I even open my mouth? Why did I even bother? And who did I influence? And every so often it's good to take time out. Because every time we complain in the house, we affect our children. Every time we complain in the workplace, our workmates are watching us. I mean, seriously. Every so often it's good to take time out. And just really say, is what I'm saying and doing, is it honoring God or is it just me just ranting? But Peter was, Lord, you're not going to the cross. You're not, you're not going to die. It's Matthew 16, 23. Do you know what Jesus said? And we know it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me. For thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This literally reads in the original. You are not exercising your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're earthly minded. Peter was trying to curtail the plan of God. And block the path of destiny for Jesus. You know so many Christians are directed in life. By what others think. Rather than what God thinks. That's why they never achieve their destiny in life. You know a lot of the things that God has asked me to do. Has been outside the box. And honestly. It's outside of the box because it needs faith. It's so often when we look back in life, how much of our life is faith and how much is it just us doing our religious thing? We, we kind of operate in our comfort zone and we, we think, well, this is, this is New Testament Christianity. And then you read this book and you compare this book to the way we live and is, it, is this really? Is this really a reflection of biblical Christianity? Operating by faith. Touching this generation. It is always good to analyze. And it's always good to reflect. You have to be careful where you receive your counsel. As prominent as Peter was. He was using human reasoning. To persuade Christ. There are so many smooth talking voices of reason out there today. And if you're not disciplined. Your head will be spinning. Honestly. I think back 26 years ago when I came back to the Lord I was just thinking about it this week. God was calling me to I was in the orange the orange purple and the black and God was calling me out. And then he called me to take a stand. And I prayed a prayer when I came back to the Lord 26 years ago because I felt really guilty. Ten years of running away from God. There was a lot of junk. A lot of junk. A lot of junk. My mom and dad didn't know. And I remember praying this. Lord, if you'll take away every sin that I've ever done. If you'll give me a home in heaven forever and ever and ever. I'll do anything for you. And I meant it. I actually meant it. Because 
I just had such a revelation of my own rebellion. Ten years wasted. Just for me. And ten years of running away from God. Ten years of just being a fool. I just said, Lord, I'll do anything for you. Within a week, he says, okay. I want you to stand against the loyal orders. Oh. But that's never been done in history before. I want you to write these books. I want you to, I want you to call God's people out of them. Because they're an offense to me. And I'm like, I said, Lord, I'll do it. But you're going to have to help me because I can't do that. Where do I start? I failed my English language at school. I can't write books. I hated filling in forms at work. I just, filling in one form was like a, a chore to me. Anybody else like that? I just, I hate filling in forms. And God's saying, I want you to write these books. I want you to do something that's never done before. The reason it come to mind, by the way, I'm in Sweden. I'm meeting up with a Baptist pastor two days ago. And even in Sweden, he says, I know who you are. I says, oh, oh dear. <laughs> Don't believe the rumors. <laughs> that was a, He says, you wrote those books, didn't you, in the Loyal Orders? And I says, yes. He says, well, God used them. 12 years ago, whenever I was a free Presbyterian, the free Presbyterian church, and ended up, he says, we, we were able to take a stand on that subject because you wrote them books. So that's why the thought come up, in case you wonder why I mentioned it. Okay? Um, and his brother's a pastor, and he's a pastor today. But I'm saying that to the glory of God, because to me, if I would have asked 10 people, hey, what do you think? I've just come to the Lord. How many of you think that I should get go down this road, do something like this? How many of you think this is a good idea? I made the mistake of asking a few people, and every one of them, don't even go there. If you value your life, you value your reputation, don't even go there, Paul. And I'm like, and this that was the good ones. <laughs> the other ones, <laughs> well... I'll not even go there. But I'm saying that to say this. That the only thing that really mattered to me in life was fulfilling the will of God. And I was threatened. I was told the LVF wanted to kill me. I was told there was other people that were interested in doing hurt. I had guys come up to me and threaten me. Just say, you know what? You're going to end up in a ditch with your throat cut. I says, really? I says, you know what? I'm ready to go. What about you? But that wasn't arrogance. That was a boldness because you know what? They were trying to intimidate you. Just put a thought in your mind, what if? What if you do end up in a, a ditch? And I'm saying this because this passage was one of the passages that inspired me. Every time you go to the book, you get inspired. You're like, he's the example. He didn't turn back for me. He didn't look to the left or the right for me. So why should I do it? After that was over, things, was time to really chill out and get married, have a baby and all this, live in the nice evangelical middle class dream. Didn't get married, to, well, met my wife at 38, got married at 39, become a daddy at 40. And God says, I want you to sell up everything you have in Northern Ireland and move to an Indian reservation. Oh. But you know what? I meant it. Lord, if you'll forgive every sin that I've ever done, if you'll give me a home in heaven forever, Lord, I'll do anything for you. And I'm not saying that to say that I'm any better than any single person in this church because I'm not. But I'm just saying... When I came to him, I got what it was all about. And I thank God for a mother and father that not just taught me the importance of being saved, but they taught me the importance of serving God. Not just by words, but by example. And ever, even before I was ever born, my mom and dad spent the first year or two years of their marriage. They didn't have a car. 
They just had a little caravan that was pulled from town to town in North Down doing children's missions. That was the first two years of their marriage. That's a legacy. I remember giving a testimony 20 years ago in a little gospel hall somewhere outside Ballinahinch. I don't know where it was. It, it was. I don't know. There's so many little gospel halls dotted, dotted in the country. Somebody had asked me. I don't even know who asked me. It's so long ago. And at the end, I was giving a testimony. I wasn't preaching. And at the end of it, there was an old boy at the back. He says, do you know what? I knew your mom and dad. And I was the one who towed them from like St. Field to somewhere else on their little caravan. You know, it's incredible just the way God works. But what I'm saying is, they left a legacy for me. My dad died. It was just after his death that I came back to the Lord. But they left a legacy that we're here to serve God. And that we need to know what it is. And when we know what it is, then nobody should put us off from getting there. And that's why I asked tonight, why are you here? What's your purpose? What's, what's the call on your life? Well, I don't know. Well, honestly, I would be sure that God wants to reveal that to you more than you want to get it. What, what's, what's your assignment in life? I have no doubt that he wants to reveal that to you more than you want it. I don't, I don't believe the Lord plays games. Do you? Do you think he plays like little games, like just dangling the character and then taking it away? And That's the religious people do that. But the Lord, his heart is always to reveal. Because he knows that our eyes are our eyes are dim and our ears are dull. We, we don't always pick up real clear. You know, I've kind of known in this last in this last eight years that my, my eyes are getting dim. Like I used to think I had brilliant eyesight, you know, to be in the police you had to have perfect eyesight. So my eyes were brilliant. And then suddenly a few years ago it's like whoa there's something wrong with my eyes it's like but I always thought my ears was good until a couple of years ago and I'm like <laughs> I'm in the living room watching something on TV and Jen comes in and says is there something wrong with your ears I says what do you mean she says that TV is so loud I says it's not loud and all the kids says daddy the TV's too loud <laughs> and I realise even my ears are starting to go dull but you know what? God knows in the natural and the spiritual, we're all like that. We're, you know, sometimes we're hard, we're hard of hearing. And that's why I believe that he doesn't just, just dangle something and take it away. I believe he's always just trying along the path to show you, to show you, to show you, to show you. Because anybody else believe that? He's the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance. You know, and that encourages me because the God that I serve is very long-suffering. Even when I'm not getting it, even when I'm busy, he'll still come to me again. And maybe there's somebody here tonight, I don't know. I don't know why I'm meant to preach this. Maybe there's somebody here tonight and this message is just confirming something that he has told you before, maybe several times before, but it's just another opportunity. Well, I urge you, whatever he is laying upon your heart, Go for it. Go for it. We get one shot at this thing. One shot. And I'll tell you, it's happening real quick. But the key is, there's only one voice that matters. That's what I'm trying to say. There's one voice that matters. Um, I used to pray, play soccer for Dramara Village. And my dad didn't often come. In fact, it was rare that he even was off work to come and watch me play. But I remember a couple of times that he did come. And there could have been a crowd there. You know, one team brings their fans this side. The other team's this side. And everybody's shouting. You know what it's like in Ulster. And you hear a lot of voices. But you see, when my dad was there, there was only one voice that mattered. I didn't even hear the coach. I would hear my dad shouting, Stick it in the net! Stick it in the net! And every time he was there, I'll t I raised my game up like 50%. Strange, you could hear all the voices were yelling. But you just, because your dad was there, and he cared and he was shouting, you just made an extra effort. And it's like that too 
when it comes to spiritual matters. There's a lot of voices screaming out there for your attention and mine. But there's only one voice that really matters. His. And I think we need to grasp that. Get, there's, instead of getting around asking 10 people, what do you think? And what do you think? And, you know, you might bring a different angle to the, the situation. It's time just to say, Lord, I hear your voice. I get it. You know, Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. What that's saying is, his voice matters. You know, there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 13 regarding a godly young prophet. Um, King Jeroboam, whose hand was shriveled up, asked this young man of God to pray for him. And his hand was healed. The king then attempted to reward him. But the young prophet replied this. If thou wilt give me half of your house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, drink, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. This young man was so strong, he stood up against the king. This man was careful to keep God's threefold command here. He ate nothing, he drank nothing, and he began to walk a different way home. However, on the way home, an older prophet came to him saying, I am a prophet also, as thou art. Isn't that lovely? You can imagine him. I'm a prophet like you are. And an angel spoke unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with, with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. See, the only problem was this second prophet was a liar. Anyway, the, the, young, the young man of God believed the old prophet and he went home with him. And at dinner time, the old prophet received a true word from the Lord. In verse, 1 Kings 13, verse 21. And he, then he starts to prophesy to the young prophet. Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the voice of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and has eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. Brother, sister, when God says something, he doesn't make a suggestion. He makes demands. And he, is, he has the right to make demands because he's God. He expects you to listen and he expects you to obey. He doesn't take kindly when we ignore him. The consequences for disobedience was tragic. In verse 23, it says, And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he was saddled for him the ass to wit the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. You know, those who get diverted from the path of God normally let their guard drop through compromise. Compromise doesn't happen just, I don't believe compromise happens just instantly. I believe we give a little bit. And then we give a little bit. And then we start to justify our sin. And before we know it, we're in a place or a place we're never meant to be. It doesn't happen overnight. Honestly, I could honestly, I, even in church, I see the backslider operating in slow motion. You start to see the first signs of it as a pastor. And you try to just cut across it. Don't go down that road. They won't listen. But you step back. And then they go, and don't go down that road. And then they keep going. And I say, don't go down that road. And before you know it, they're shipwrecked. They're messed up. Or 
They don't even want to be in the house of God. And they don't even want to be around you. In Hebrews 12.1 it says, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Adam Clark paraphrases this. He says, Let us start, run on, and continue running until we get to the goal. A goal. There's a goal. This word patience here means to endure. I was going to say endure, but I just remembered where I was. Okay, if you say endure over there, they think you're saying injure. Or, or if you say produce, they don't understand that it's produce. So it's scary when you look at a word now and you see endure. And it's like, it's scary. But it means to endure or remain constant. It means continuance and persistence. Let us run with endurance. You know, the old timers used to say this. It's not the way you start that matters. It's the way you finish. So many in the race, they start to get weary, start to get sidetracked. They start to compromise. And you wonder where they are today. Many start off bright and excited for God. But life, people, and especially the lie of the devil has a habit of distracting many. Christians are so easily knocked off course today. They're so easily discouraged. They're so easily offended. Honestly, you could knock some Christians over with your little pinky. Honestly, you have to tiptoe around people today. It's like, like if you don't shake their hand or something, they think you're ignoring them. Like maybe I was talking to this person I didn't even see you. No, but really? There was a... I don't know whether you know about this, David, but there's somebody... I remember before I went to America, somebody told me there was a preacher, I think he was in East Belfast, was talking about he had a vision of heaven. And what it was was all the saints, like from the 1950s right back to the beginning, and they were all talking about what they had to suffer for the faith. You know, some of them were disowned by their families. Some of their heads chopped off. Some were burnt at the stake. And they were talking about, in heaven, about their experiences. And then we had all the modern-day Christians, you know, like 1980s, 1990s. And they were talking about the cross they had to carry in life. And nobody had called this person in a week. <laughs> and then this person had left church and the pastor didn't even shake their hand. I mean, Seriously? Is that tribulation? You know what it is? It's pathetic. It is pathetic. Honestly, people are so easily offended today. We need a man up. We're in a war. What do you expect in a war? You know, if that's the biggest wound you're going to get, honestly, you're getting it easy. We've brothers and sisters throughout the world today losing their lives for this gospel. There's more believers losing their lives today than any time in history. And people are more interested in taking offense. Honestly, it's baloney. You pastors in America today, they won't even preach like this. And you know what they do? So if people can't say, oh, you're taking a dig at me. They actually do systematic reading of the word now. So it's, this Sunday will be Genesis 1. Next Sunday is going to be Genesis 2. Week after is Genesis 3. So nobody will take offense. I mean, it's ridiculous. The man of God can't be in, in the presence of God and just say, Lord, please speak to me today. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't even know where I'm going in the Bible. But would you speak? Would you just speak? We're so scared to offend today. But we're supposed to be an army. We're supposed to be soldiers, warriors, fighting the good fight. It's all to do with here, the mind and the heart. You know, I think God is looking for us to be steady and consistent in this day. And you know that I've no time for psychologists. But you know, there's sometimes this here's to do with psychology, the mind. 
The Bible's a lot to say about the mind. You know, there's a lot of psychology and sport and politics and business, all that. But um, it was t- we're talking about a race here, running the race. I used to always love running. Uh, in fact, my brother Ian and me were both good middle middle distance runners. Um, at school, between the 400 meters, the 800 meters, the 1500 meters, and the mile, if he didn't win it, I won it. I mean. All depend. I mean, we were so competitive. Davy probably knows this from uh, our younger days. I mean, there was such a competition between me and my brother. We pushed ourselves to the limit. And if I seen him out training four times a week, I'd go out five times a week. Because I didn't, there's no way he was going to beat me next week in the 1500 meters. But I'm saying it was, you know what it's like. These are all looking at me as if I'm crazy. Well, in the 1500 meters, especially, Used to get guys who would run off sprinting the first lap, you know. It's like, and they would leave us in the dust. And they're away running around the track. And like we were pacing ourselves. Because when you run the race, you have to pace yourself. See, it talked about constancy. Constancy. Steady. Running a steady race. And they, they would maybe keep going for another half lap, lap after the first one. But by the time you got to the end of the second lap, they were going backwards. And we were going forwards and just going past them. But I used to have a tactic once I got to the last lap. And it worked a lot of the time. Even though I was tired because me and the brother were keeping shoulder to shoulder. Once we hit the last lap, I used to crank it up a gear then. <laughs> and I would run real hard like for just for a short while. And... My brother used to think that I'd got a second wind, but I was just shattered as he was. But I just did it. And then the last part of it, I could take it a lot easier because he had kind of just thought that I was fit, but I wasn't. I was just as tired as he was, but it was all psychology. And what I'm actually getting at is you need a lot of discipline. A lot of discipline when it comes to running the race. You have to pace yourself. You just don't go off and sprint the first lap and then fall. And then everybody's coming around looking at you. And you <laughs> I used to see the guys doing that. They thought they were smart. But they weren't pacing themselves. Honestly, they just made a fool of themselves. Because they couldn't even finish the race. Honestly, they were so shattered after a lap and a half, they couldn't finish the race. Isn't that lovely? I mean, about two weeks ago, we had our youth camp over um, in America. And of course, it's, it's mainly spiritual, okay? But there is a bit of sport. And I keep thinking I'm 18 years of age. Honestly, I have to keep reminding myself I'm 52 years of age. And my wife's always before I go to camp. Now, you better not come back with another injury. <laughs> because last year, everybody's coming into church on the Sunday like this year. <laughs> so I said to each of them, now, whenever you come into church, like there was a guy injured. I says, listen, on Sunday, big smile. I says, just smile and just grit it until you get to your seat. Because my wife's looking out. <clears throat> but... You have to discipline yourself. You get to 52, you have to pace yourself a little bit. You just have to, you have to box smart. But you know what? It's the same as believers. And I, I really do believe if ever there's a day to be disciplined, not look to the left or right, not get distracted. You know, there were some of them guys I was playing against at camp. They were trying to psych me out of it. You're an old man. You know, and you know, they're marking, you're an old man, you can't even run and all this. And um, that used to fire me up. You know, that, if they want to encourage me, just tell me something like that. Really? <laughs> That's, I think it's the Ulster psyche. You know, they say, how do you get 100 Ulster Protestants into a telephone box? Tell them they're not allowed in. Honestly, I think it's true. <laughs> I think there's something about the Ulster man. If you tell him he can't do it, he'll do it. But getting back to our message. The Lord told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, 
Observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, for then, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. For the Christian, either the voice of God is going to be your direction, or the voice of others is going to be your distraction. I'll say that again. For the Christian, either the voice of God is going to be your direction, or the voice of others is going to be your distraction. The reward of listening to God is beyond riches. It tells us if we yield to God, it says, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, many in America dream about prosperity, and they dream about good success. They call it the American dream. But in chasing that there, they don't really know what prosperity looks like. And they don't know what good success looks like. Because the American dream is walk over whoever you need to walk over to get to where you need to get to. It is such the opposite to the gospel. Basically, it's all self-centered. The American dream, from what I can ascertain, is all materialism. You know, if the next door neighbor gets a big car, you get a bigger car. You know, it's all about bigger and better. And the, the whole country's in debt. Christians are in debt. Everybody seems to be in debt over there. But what does it mean here when it says not to look to the left or the right? There's a couple of things I wrote here. Keep to the script. Keep to the book. Keep on the prepared path. Keep on target. Stay focused. Be intentional. Be diligent. Be determined. Be disciplined. You know, from my experience, to avoid the distractions, you have to identify the vulnerabilities in your own character. You have to identify the people around you that pull you down. You have to identify the enticements that steal your heart, steal your time, steal your peace. Without that, you'll continue to make the same mistakes. Just over, the same old, same old. Do you ever wonder why the devil hits you with the same things over and over again? Do you know why? Because they work. Same things. When you know what God wants and you're determined to fulfill that, it's easier to accomplish the purposes of God. Um, I've mentioned the word intentional a few times tonight. What does that word mean, intentional? Intentional means to do with, it's to do with design and purpose. It's to be deliberate. It is to plan. It is not accidental. You know, when I got on the aeroplane, heading over to here and then heading to Sweden, the first flight, there was a girl sitting beside me and I got to talk to her. Um, for the first half hour, I didn't even mention the gospel. Just talked about everything. Donald Trump, you name it. We talked about everything. Um, but she was a devout, well, brought up in a devout Roman Catholic family, but she wasn't going anywhere to church. She was disillusioned. She just, she got nothing out of church and whatever. She was wide open. By the end of the flight, she was like, I believe everything you're saying. I give her my email. I says, if you ever want to talk, if you ever want, but, you know, we need to realize that we are men and women on a mission. We heard it tonight. Stephen was talking about it. We have to take the opportunities that he gives us. That's what we're accountable for. 
we don't beat ourselves up like legalists and, you know, where do I go today? And like, God is a way of bringing the right people to you at the right time. And I believe that's what we're accountable for. Um, but I think we need to be intentional, realizing that God has got a plan. He sovereignly placed that girl beside me. So as far as I'm concerned, if that happens, then I want to get the word to her. It doesn't always happen that way. where you, you It just opens wide open. But at least you can be intentional. I don't care what subject somebody wants to talk about. There's ways and means of getting around to the gospel. People could be complaining about the ozone layer. Well, you can bring that round to the gospel. It can be talking about Donald Trump. They can be talking about sport. Honestly, if they talk about sport, I'll say, hey, I know an American football coach called Ron Brown. And that, then I'll start to talk about it because that coach is an evangelist. And then I'll bring the gospel in. But I'm saying we need to be very intentional in getting the truth to people because you know what? This is the only day we have. You're not going to get another run at this thing. And maybe, oh, I'll do, maybe I'll give it more effort the next time. This is it. And I can tell you it's going quick. Quick. I'm 52 and it's like, wow. If I live to be an old man of 70, I've got 18 years left. 18 years left. Wow. That is crazy. That's crazy. That's why we should number our days and apply our heart onto wisdom. We have to be intentional. I'm going to skip some of my notes tonight because I want to, I want to go somewhere. Listen to Paul the Apostle here in 2 Timothy 4.6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Can you see the sense of assignment here for Paul? Can you see the sense of fulfillment? He's finished his course. The mission that was led upon his shoulders, I've done it. I'm ready. Lord, I've done what you've asked me to do. If this was your last night, could you say that? Could you honestly say like Paul that I'm now ready? I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. Could you say that? Could you honestly with confidence just say, you know what? Mission accomplished. It might have been done perfectly, but I accomplished what he had ordained for me in this life? Or would you be like a lot of Christians? I go to a lot of deathbeds as a pastor. I have lost count how many deathbeds I've been to in ten and a half years. It is unbelievable, especially in that Indian reservation. But I've been to a lot of Christians on their deathbed. And honestly, especially whenever I got there at the start, so many Christians were, I'm scared to meet Jesus. They're about to meet Jesus in a few minutes and they're in tears. What do I say? You know, what am I going to say to him, pastor? I'm like, what do I say here? And then they start to confess to you like you're a Roman Catholic priest. There's a man... Everybody looked up to him in the whole area. This was a sound Pentecostal man. Everybody looked up to him. And he's confessing to me like a Catholic priest. I haven't tithed for 40 years. And I know it was wrong. And he says, what am I going to say to Jesus? I don't know what he wants me to say. I didn't even know what to say. He's been stealing from God for 40 years. And everybody held him up here. And he's trying to confess it on me. But I've been in so many deathbeds. And the Christians are like, they're trying to get it off their chest. Like, I've done nothing for God. I've just went to church. I've just did the church thing. I'll pray a little two-minute prayer before I go to bed. And I'll read a, a chapter whenever I feel like it. 
And they're wanting to talk to me as like a priest. I don't know what, what do you say to somebody like that? Oh, you know, the Lord will understand. You've been a thief for 40 years and God will understand that, you know. I can't do that. You say, well, oh, tithing was for the Old Testament, but it's not in the New Testament. Okay. Do you know what it says in the New Testament? Sell up everything. So, you know, that's what I say to to people like that. Because you know what? They're stealing from God. They don't like giving to God. I say, that's fine. See, the New Testament takes it up a gear. It says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you commit adultery. It says, if you've hatred in your heart toward a brother, you've committed murder. To me, the New Testament doesn't lower the pole. It kind of ups the pole. That's what the Lord said to the disciples. He says, sell everything that you have. And just bring it all together and let's be, let's really go out and touch this generation. People are so religious in life, but I can tell you on their deathbed, get the real person. Amen? The real person's there. And you're dealing with, the the wife's not there because they didn't want their wife to hear this. And they didn't, and they're they're opening up and it's like, all I say to them, I'll pray for you now. Five minutes are gone. Five minutes time they're gone or an hour they're gone. You just leave the hospital and you get a phone call from the wife, they're gone. But when you go to bed after bed like that, it's like, Lord, please help me not to go down that road. Help me not to be selfish and just get into the same old, same old and just because I wanted to stay in my comfort zone. Really? I mean, is that what the Christian... Is that what the Christian walk has become today? Just living in a little comfort zone? Or are we not supposed to be radical? To live the life of another? I want to be like Paul the Apostle. I want to say that even if I died tonight, that I could say I've finished the course. I've done exactly what he asked. Albeit I've done it with great imperfection. But I've done what he asked me to do. Can I ask you tonight, please, be honest. You don't need to tell me, but be honest in your own heart. Have you finished the course? Have you fulfilled the assignment that he has ordained for you? Or do you not even know what it is? How can you fulfill it if you don't even know why you're here? Paul said in Acts 20, verse 26, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure, from the blood of all men. For I am not, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul told them what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. Amen. Oh, that God would do that with each of us tonight. I want to, in this life, I want to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. How about you? I urge you tonight, maybe if there's somebody here and you've maybe been compromising in some way, I urge you, it's time to man up. I don't know whether they say that in Ulster, but they say it in America, man up. You know, it's time for us to get real. Jesus is coming soon. I can tell you, I got a wake-up call in Sweden too, which is the other side of the thing. Sweden has become probably one, if not the most liberal country in the world. They are at the forefront of the LGBT community. Everywhere you go is these rainbow flags. The churches, rainbow flags flying from them, the Lutheran churches and whatever. And you're looking going, maybe about 300 years ago, there was anointed preaching in that church. Today, there's a rainbow flag outside it. And they are now actively in the schools teaching the kids That your gender is not absolute. Little three and four and five year old kids. It's been taught right now in the state schools in Sweden. We're there. Jesus is coming soon. We're there. We are so close to the midnight hour. Maybe closer than we ever realize. It's all being fulfilled. I mean, honestly, in, in my lifetime, it's like, Whoa. When I was at school, we didn't even have mobile phones or cell phones. It's like, 
you know, and we only know that much. What does he see? What does he see going on in Balnehinch tonight? We think, oh, Balnehinch is a lovely little town. Really? What's going on there that we, you know, I used to, and I'll finish in a second. I used to, um, as a police officer, I was only 19 when I joined the police. I went to Strandtown in East Belfast. And my mom, I used to see her saying things about politics. Oh, he's a lovely politician. I'm like, if she only knew. If she only knew what I knew. The fact that we're getting calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, he's beating up his wife. If I told her, she wouldn't even believe me. But I'm saying, as a 19-year-old boy, you're like, whoa, I used to think this was a lovely place. And the amount of corruption and immorality and evil going on, it's like, and that was back a few years ago. I can't even, so long. 33 years ago, is it? That's crazy. But it's way worse today than it was then. I'm just saying this not to discourage you, but just to challenge you. Are you like Jesus in this day? You're, you're focused. You've set your face as a flint. I will fulfill that purpose. Whether I'm on my own, whether it's lonely, whether it's painful, whether it's difficult, I will fulfill the commission of my life because that's more important than anything. Let's pray.